Invite your attention to Ephesians chapter 5 this evening, Ephesians chapter 5. Last Sunday morning, if you recall, we did a walkthrough, a breakdown of the first seven verses, really the first uh, the first eight verses, where you remember Paul talked at the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 about how you and I as Christians are to be what he calls imitators of God. And he talks about how in order for us to do that, you and I must walk in love. He talked about how there must be a turning away on our behalf of the perversions and the sins that are in the world, specifically talking about the sexual abominations and things that were happening uh, at the time that he was writing to the people in the city of Ephesus. A warning was given, Paul, to those individuals there to not engage, a warning to not partake, to not be like the people among whom they were living. And we talked about the difference between their old lives and how now they were living as what Paul calls children of light. And we contrasted that with their old lives of being in the darkness. Well, this evening, this comes right off the heels of that particular study. And you can't really read verses 1 through 8 and not continue reading and continue studying really all the way through the end, through the end of the chapter, but specifically this evening through the end of verse 14. And I want to explore more this idea of being the light this evening. Not just, as Paul says, not just walking in the light, not just individuals who are acting as the light, but Paul commanding not only the brethren there at Ephesus, but you and I as students of the book, as New Testament Christians today, that we are to walk as children of light and how everything that we have discussed and everything that we will discuss really centers and focuses around what Paul says here in verse 8, walking as children of light. If I'm going to be someone who is the light, how do I do that? What is required of me if I'm going to be someone who is the light? A few things that I want to point out as we walk through this text uh, this evening. Number one, in order for me to be the light, and this is the most obvious thing, but it needs to be said because of how Paul goes through this. The first thing in order for me to be the light is first I'm required to be a Christian. And it sounds obvious, doesn't it? Notice what Paul says. We're going to read again here in verse 8. Notice what he says. For you were once darkness, but now, again a contrast, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And again, this is a very obvious concept, isn't it? I go back to what Jesus said, and we referenced this verse uh, last week as well. But Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 12, one of his I am statements, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I jump forward again to 1 John chapter 1, this time in verse 5, where the Bible says, This is the message which we have heard from him, and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You see, if you and I are commanded to be the light, we must be where the light itself is. We made such a big deal last week, didn't we, over the contrast that Paul makes here at the beginning of verse 8, how he talks about how they once were in darkness. What was he talking about? He was talking about these Ephesian brethren, how at one time in their lives, in their past, they were living lives where they did not have God in them. They were living lives where they were completely alienated from living the Christian life. They were not in a relationship with God, and so the command was for them and for us to be the complete opposite of what these people used to do. Instead of being darkness, Paul commands us to be the light. Well, how do we do that? Well, again, go back to John chapter 8 and verse 12. When Jesus said that he is the light, if you and I are to be the light as well, 
then obviously we must be where Christ is. We must be where Christ is. Specifically, we must be inside of Christ. So logically, the question that we ask is this, well, how do I do that? How do I get into Jesus Christ? A couple of passages to consider. First is Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning of verse 22, the apostle Paul is speaking again to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus, and he says this, and he put all things under his feet and gave him, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ. He's talking about Jesus, and he says, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus, his body figuratively is equivalent to the Lord's church. We'll notice another one, Galatians chapter three, beginning of verse 27, Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So what's the point that we're making here? The point is this, in order for us to be the light, we must first be in Christ. You and I understand that Christ's body is the same as the church, and we are commanded to be baptized into Christ. So logically, how do we get into the church and be the light? Well, obviously, it has to be through the act of baptism. It has to be through a burial, through an immersion into water, which represents the blood of Jesus, washing away our sins. The water itself, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, doesn't do anything, but it is the blood of Jesus, 1 John 1 and verse 7 that washes away our sins. You know, it's unfortunate, isn't it? That there are so many skewed views, so many skewed ways of how people look at baptism in our religious world. And it's unfortunate because so many people have twisted what salvation is supposed to look like. People have twisted what is entailed within this idea of salvation and they have put their own spin on it. They have put their own twist on it and they have per perverted it and made it into something that it is not simply because they don't want to submit to God and to his parameters. Peter talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16 when he talked about people who were twisting the scriptures to their own destruction. Can you imagine growing up in your parents' home and saying, look, parent, mom, dad, I know that I live in your house. And I know that you pay for all of the things that I have. I understand that you bought the clothes that I wear and you put food on my table and I'm able to live in your house and, you know, all of these things, parents, that, that you do for your children. Can you imagine as a child going to, to, to a parent and, and understanding that you live off of them, that they are there and it's necessary for them in order to be there because because you're going to survive with them. But you say this, you say, look, I don't really like your rule about having to be home by 11, so I'm just not going to do that. Ch children, what, child, what would happen? Parent, what would happen? Can, can you imagine as a child going to your parents saying, look, I know you provide all of these things for me, but I also don't really like your rule that you have about this or about that or whatever it might be. Can, can, any child worth their salt knows that that's not going to fly with their parents, isn't it? And any parent who parents the correct way knows that that's not going to work with their child and how that relationship works. Well, the exact same thing is with Almighty God. Any individual who is truly honest with themselves, when they look at Scripture, they know that that is not how a relationship with God works. You and I understand that it is God's universe, thus it is God's rules. It is our sin, and yet it is His way that provides salvation for us. Thus, you and I must be willing to submit and to adhere to his commands. Mark 16 and verse 16, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, 
But he who does not believe will be condemned. I don't know how much more clear it can get than that. And there's so much more we can talk about, but just for the sake of time, we're going to move on. In order to be the light, I first am required to be a Christian. But then number two, in order to be the light, what else is required of me? I am required to bear good fruit. Notice what Paul says, beginning in verse nine. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Last week, we briefly touched on this. We briefly talked about our character, didn't we? And specifically, we talked about how being the light changes our character, how it changes who we are. And entailed with all, within all of that is you and I are able to look at our past life. We're able to look at the darkness from which we have come out, and we're able to say goodbye to those things. We're able to say see you later to a life that was lived not in accordance with the scriptures, not in accordance with what God would have us to do. The way that we live showcases that. It is so important, brothers and sisters, to reiterate and to constantly remind ourselves that there is a specific life that you and I have been called to live, a life that is different from the darkness, a life that is different from the world around us, a life where my character is completely engrossed with what God has called me to do, a life that bears good fruit, a life that produces good and effective results for the cause and for the kingdom of Christ, which is completely opposite, verse 11, and we're going to get to this in just a moment, from the unfruitful works of darkness, not to mention, if you think about it, it is very evident, is it not, brothers and sisters, when you look at a Christian who is not living in the light, a Christian who is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, it is very evident, is it not, by the fruit that he or she produces in their lives as it pertains to their faithfulness to Almighty God. Jesus talked about this, in fact, in Matthew chapter 7. Notice what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 7, he's ending the Sermon on the Mount, bringing it to a close. Notice what he says here, beginning in verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear, da- bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, notice what he says, by their fruits, you will know them. Brothers and sisters, the fruit that you and I bear in our lives is very, very telling of who we are on the inside, isn't it? If you and I have good motives, if you and I are striving to do that which is right by the law of Almighty God, if we are striving to walk as children of light, then we are going to produce, we're going to bear the right kind of fruit. But if not, if we're walking in the darkness as the darkness that Paul describes a few verses before, then certainly that too is going to reflect in our fruit. That too is going to reflect in the way that we walk just as it was of the false prophets that Jesus is warning them about. Paul says here in verse 9, that we are to walk as children of light, and in order to do so, we are going to produce a very specific lifestyle. And if you notice, it's in parentheses, but I don't want you to, to, to allow that to subtract or take away from how important it is. In fact, one of the commentaries that I was reading said that it is a parenthesis with a purpose. There's a reason why this is here, and it's important for us to understand this. Three things that Paul calls us to have in our lives. Number one is this, goodness. 
You and I are required to live lives full of goodness, perhaps somewhat of a reflection on what Paul wrote back in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians in verse 10, when Paul said, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we're talking about goodness, we're talking about our character, aren't we? We're talking about how our actions are that we live out because we are taking the word of God. We are digesting it. We are studying it. We are applying it. And it shows forth in our everyday walk. Thayer says that it is the uprightness of heart and life, goodness and kindness. Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul was speaking to the church at Rome, and he said, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also, notice what he says, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. I want you to notice the last part of this verse, able to admonish one another. This has so much to do with this idea of goodness. The idea that if you and I are going to be children of light, we are going to be full of goodness and entailed within that is how you and I treat the people who are around us. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 35, where he said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me and you remember them that they began to question Jesus, didn't they? And they said, Lord, when did we ever see you sick or in prison or in need of any of these things? When did we ever have an opportunity to do these things to you? But they missed the point, didn't they? Because how did Jesus Jesus responded to them. Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Having goodness as part of your characteristics is to be someone who is loving actions towards those who are around you. And let me remind all of us here today that this includes all of us who are Christians but towards all of those who are also not Christians, doesn't it? The way that you and I are required to treat the people around us is applicable to those who are both part of the church and those who are not part of the church. There is no verse in the Bible, is there, that says you and I are to treat New Testament Christians respectfully, lovingly, with kindness, with goodness, and then when it comes to those who are not a part of the body of Christ, to treat them as if they aren't worthy of the gospel. Let me remind all of us that none of us are worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. Let me be very quick to remind all of us that without the blood of Jesus, without our coming into contact with it, you and I would be in the exact same position as they in the world. And yet just as much as Christ died for us, he died for every single person in this world. Number two, the idea of righteousness. Paul says we need to make sure we're living lives full of righteousness, an attitude that agrees with God, an attitude that agrees with his standard and his authority for our way of living while we're here on this earth. It's the idea that you and I are able to see eye to eye with God on what he would have us to do and the fact that we are loyal to him in the lives that we live. But again, it also has to do with how we treat those around us, doesn't it? When you and I are righteous in our conduct, we are able to stand righteous and holy before God then that will relay in how we treat others. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount in verse 6 where he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness, for they shall be filled. It must be our absolute desire to stand righteous before God. But then number three, Paul talks about this idea of truth. 
If you go back one chapter, people always love to talk about Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, don't they? They always love to say, you and I need to make sure that we're preaching and speaking the truth in love, but they, can, but they miss the whole context of this entire passage. Because if you jump forward to verse 25, what does Paul continue talking about? Therefore, putting away lying, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Do you see how so much of this has to do with the way that you and I treat our fellow man? Truth is not only something to be said, brothers and sisters, but it is something that is to be done. First John 3 and verse 18, my little children, John says, let us not love in word or in tongue, but what? But in deed and in truth. If I'm going to walk as a child of light, I need to ensure that I am walking in truth. I suppose when you look at these three things, you really could sum them up in Galatians chapter 5. Verses 22 and verse 23, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. We sing it in our Bible classes. We ingrain it into our minds to make sure that we know what it is. It's interesting, though, that Paul uses these three characteristics to describe someone who walks as a child of light. Because all of those fruits in Galatians chapter 5, you really could sum up every single one of them within these three things. If I am going to successfully walk as a child of light, I must understand the good fruit that is required of me to bear in this life. Goodness, righteousness, truth. Am I striving for these things? Am I hungering and thirsting for these things? Is it a goal of mine in this life to have those things? Is it a prayer of mine to have these things in my life? If not, then I need to make some changes. Here's number three. Number three, if I'm going to be a child of light, required of me is to test that which is around me. Required of me is to test that which is around me. Notice what Paul says back in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. He says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You know, this is an interesting command, an interesting requirement in order for us to be walking as light because what Paul is saying is for you and I as New Testament Christians to not just simply take what we hear, to not just simply take what we come into contact with and to just simply believe it, to just simply take it as truth. And he says, look, don't just take the things that are thrown at you and just assume that they are right. Look, we are being taught a plethora of things in our world, aren't we? that are just simply not right. The world says alcohol is fine, isn't it? The world says even if you just take a drink here or there, even if you just do it socially, even if you just do it maybe in the privacy of your own home, just take a few sips. Alcohol won't hurt you at all, but that's just simply not true, is it? The world says, look, love whatever you want. Love whoever you want, and it doesn't matter if they're the same gender as you. You can be who you want to be. And if people are homosexual, that's okay. But guess what? That's not true. The world says, go ahead. Do immoral things with your boyfriend and your girlfriend, things that were reserved for marriage only. But go ahead. If you want to do those things, it'll be fine. But guess what? That's not true. The world says, look, if the consequence of those actions is a baby and you don't want to have the responsibility of being a parent, just terminate that. Just kill the child and it'll all be okay. But guess what? That's not true. The world says pick your own gender. Be whoever you want to be, whatever makes you feel good, whatever you want to do in this life. Everyone has to accept you for who you want to be. But guess what? That's not true. You and I need to be able to take these things in, in our world, and we need to be able to align them with the Word of God. 
and see if they harmonize or not. The word for trying to learn in the Greek is a word that means to prove, to discern, to test, to scrutinize, to recognize that which is genuine after an examination in the exact same way that a doctor does a physical exam on a person to see what is right and what is wrong with them. So are you and I to do with the things that we hear and learn and see in this world. Here's the thing. This is a condition in order for us to walk as children of light, that we must be testing and scrutinizing every single thing and only taking in that which is truthful. You and I must have a determination about us to want to know what God's will is for us in this life, to take the things that we hear, to take the things that we learn, to lay them alongside what he has told us. And if it runs parallel, fantastic. Make application into your life, but if not, you and I had better cast it far from us and run far from it. In order for us to be able to do this, in order for us to be able to test that which is around us, it must be measured up against a standard, that which is the word of Almighty God. Colossians chapter 1, Paul speaking to the church at Colossae, said this beginning in verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Brothers and sisters, it ought to be our daily prayer that as we live on this earth, all we do is simply walk in the way that God would have us to walk. That we would simply walk worthy of him and the calling with which he has called us. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1, all the way through verse 3. And in that passage, Paul talks about how in order to walk worthy, we need to take on things like humility and patience, among other attributes in our lives. But here, in order to do that, in order to walk worthy, we must be filled with the knowledge of him and his will. How do we do that? How do we do that? How are we filled with the knowledge of him and his will? Through immersing ourselves in study of God's holy word. In our Wednesday night Bible class um, that we're doing with the junior high and high school, we're taking down questions that they're asking, and we're doing our best to answer them from the scriptures. And one question that has come up time and time and time again is, how do I better study the word of Almighty God? What a great question that our young people are asking. Adults, Christians, what are you asking? Are you asking the same question as it pertains to you and your Bible study? Are you asking, how can I study the Word of God better than what I'm doing right now? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul said, be diligent. In the King James, it says, study to present yourself approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. First Peter 3 and verse 15, Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. First John 4 and verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do you see how imperative it is? for us to test that which is around us. Because as unfortunate as it is, not every single person in our world has good intentions. Not every single person in our world is teaching and preaching the gospel. And so when we do test, when we find out those things that are wrong, those things that go against the will of God, we need to do what with it? Well, number four, we need to expose it. 
We need to expose the darkness. Notice what Paul says beginning in verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Interesting, right? Because again, we're talking about where these Ephesian brethren had come. We're talking about the darkness. They're coming from a life that was wholly ridden in sin and immorality, and yet they've come out of that. And not only are they commanded to live as the light, but now they are required to expose the darkness from where they have just come, to reveal wickedness and sin for what it is and the horrible things that brings about. If you think about it, this really goes all the way back, doesn't it, to what we talked about last Sunday. And going back to verse 2, when Paul said that you and I are to walk in love, certainly this is part of how we do that, of how we love our brethren, how we are commanded first to stop participating in these things. But notice that in and of itself is not enough. It's not enough for you and I to just not participate in the sin around us, but we're required to expose it. We are required to expose that which is around us. We cannot just sit on the sidelines, Christians. We cannot just sit idly by and watch those in our world lose their souls. We must be able and willing to stand out and to speak the truth. I find it interesting the way Paul talks about the works of darkness, how he calls them that which is unfruitful. Right, The idea that nothing good comes from this. The idea that it can accomplish nothing good. How it doesn't help anything at all. There's no good outcome, is there? There is no good thing, no right thing that can come from committing sin. It doesn't help your relationship with your friends. It doesn't help your relationship with your family. It doesn't help your relationship with your brethren. Most importantly, it doesn't help your relationship with Almighty God. When you and I commit sin, it leaves us stumbling around in the dark. Because where sin is, there is no light. Where sin is, there is no guidance. Where sin is, there is no direction. There is no specific way of knowing where to go or what to do because it blinds you and it separates you from Almighty God. Isn't that exactly what the consequence of sin is in our lives? You and I can look back in our lives and we can reflect on the times that you and I have sinned, on the times where we have done things that we never should have done. What good can we do for the cause of Christ while we are mixed up in sin and darkness? How can we be the light when we are living a life that is engulfed in the darkness? You and I cannot accomplish anything for God like that because we handicap ourselves. We hinder ourselves and our own influence on this world. It's because of this Paul instructs us not to have fellowship with them. Because if we do, Paul says it's the equivalent of the exact same thing to being someone who delights in them and who approves of them. In Romans chapter 1 verse 32, Paul is just finishing this huge long list of sins, things that these Gentile people were doing, things that they didn't need to be doing. And notice what he says as he concludes this passage. He says in verse 32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but what? Who also approve of those things who practice them. Brothers and sisters, we must be so very careful about that which we approve when it comes to our friends and the things that they are doing in this world. The things that maybe you quote-unquote like on social media, things that you are giving your approval, things that you are saying that you are in agreement with. Ask yourself, would Jesus have 
quote-unquote liked it if he were on social media? Would Jesus have given him his approval of the things that they were doing, of the things that they were wearing, of the language that they were using, the things in which they were participating, or were the things that you approve of as it pertains to maybe not the things that you do, but maybe the things that your friends do, are they things that sent Jesus to the cross? It's not enough for us Christians to just simply not actively participate in sin, but we must ensure that we don't approve of it when it's done by others. But not only does Paul require of us, if we are to walk as the light, to not have fellowship, but notice this, he also says we have to expose it. And I suppose this is really the emphasis of this entire verse, the, the, the act of revealing or exposing the works of darkness, the idea of bringing it to the light and showcasing it to the world that is around us so that we all might be aware, but that we can all understand the devastating nature of it. You see, that's why you and I as Christians don't just sit idly by, isn't it? This is why you and I as Christians don't just let all of these unfruitful works of darkness run rampant around us, but we must be actively exposing it. Brothers and sisters, we need to be teaching and preaching about things like homosexuality. We need to be teaching and preaching things about alcohol, abortion, pornography, fornication, whatever it might be. We have got to get away from this soft and spineless teaching and preaching of the gospel. Where has our backbone gone, Christians, as people who belong to an all-powerful God? I understand, certainly in love, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, but we have to remember that just because it might offend somebody doesn't mean that we cower away from teaching it. That word exposed in, in the Greek, it carries the idea of reproving. Exactly what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, when he told Timothy to preach the word and to be ready in season and out of season, he says, convince, that's that word reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. It's the idea of distaste, the idea of disapproval. You and I must disapprove of any kind of sin and those who actively live in it. I'm not at all saying that you look at somebody who is living in sin as if they're worthless or as if they should never have an opportunity to come into contact with the blood of Jesus because you and I, again, have to remember where we were without the blood of Christ. But when we, however, we must disapprove of their unfruitful works that they do, just as our God does. But then notice this, Paul doesn't stop there, does he? Paul doesn't stop there, but he talks about not only how bad and how terrible these things are, but he continues further by saying the nature of these things, at least what's going on here in the city of Ephesus, is that which is so abominable. It is that which is so abhorrent that it is even shameful to talk about probably a reference to the Gentile and pagan idolaters, that which was shameful, those ritual practices that they were, they were holding, the sexual perversions and abominations that were going on in their time. Again, keep in mind, these brethren were doing and taking part of all of these things in their former lives. The darkness in which they used to live consisted of that which was shameful. I can't help but think really what a lesson that is for us today, isn't it? Because you and I live in a society, we live in a culture that says you and I are to only think about acceptance. You and I are to only think about love. You and I are to only believe what we want and other people can believe what they want and somehow we will find a way to get along. And if you disagree, if you say no, if you call somebody out for their way of living, you are immediately a hateful person. You are immediately a bigot. You are immediately someone who is biased and someone who is nasty and horrible. And yet you and I understand that there is a standard, isn't there? 
There is a way of living that is right and a way of living that is wrong. You and I understand that truth can be known and we as Christians have been called to live up to that standard, to live and to walk as children of light. And that includes no longer fellowshipping with the darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 3, beginning of verse 19, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Number five, the last one for this, for this evening. What else is required of me to stay, what else is required of me rather to be the light? Number five, I'm required to stay that, to stay alert. Notice verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You know, it's interesting that we're getting somewhat of a timeline, aren't we, of these Ephesian Christians, because at one time, these individuals, they were living in sin. At one time, these individuals were living in darkness, and now they've come out of darkness. They've answered the call of God. They have become Christians, but now it almost seems as if they have waned in their faith. It almost seems as if they have lost their zeal for Almighty God because this entire passage really is an appeal. It's really somewhat of a rebuke to them. There evidently had been no calling out of the darkness. There had been no calling out of the sin that was around them. That's why Paul, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, found it necessary to pin verse 11. And so in some sense, this is a warning for us to stay alert, isn't it? You see, for you and I as Christians, we have a responsibility, don't we? We have a responsibility, a responsibility to make use of the light in which we are walking, to be the light, to show people the way to Christ, and to shine the light on the works of darkness. You and I as Christians, we must awaken. Brothers and sisters, Christians have been asleep for far too long. We have been nonchalantly and methodically portraying the life of a Christian, but what do our actions say? Are you and I truly walking in the light? Are we truly walking as light or do we just throw up this facade and do we just come week after week and fill a chair and walk back out and act as if our lives have never even changed? Paul is perhaps pulling from the book of Isaiah in this quote. Some people have different thoughts as to where this comes from when you look at Paul's writings and yet we can debate where it comes from, but don't miss the message. Don't miss the warning. Don't miss the command that Paul is laying before us that those who are spiritually dead, those who are in the darkness, it is time to awaken. It is time to put off the world. It is time to put off the sin, to turn from it, and to move forward, to move towards something better. I don't know your situation. Maybe you're a non-Christian. Maybe you're here. You have an opportunity to do something about it, don't you? You have time and opportunity on your side right now as someone who is not part of the light to turn that around, to awaken from the slumber in which you walk and to get right with Almighty God. Maybe, I don't, again, I don't know your situation. Maybe you're a Christian and maybe you are also squandering away your time. Maybe you're squandering away your opportunity as a faithful Christian to not live the life that God has called you to live and maybe it's time for you and I to make changes. I don't know your situation. I don't know where you are in your walk. I don't know what's going on in your life. But what I do know is you and I have an opportunity to make our lives right. You and I have an opportunity to do that which we need to do to make sure we are in a good standing and in a good relationship with Almighty God. But I also know this, that you and I are not guaranteed another moment. 
I know that you and I are, are guaranteed what we have, and that is which is right now. If you have a need, if you have something that you need to take care of, whether you're non-Christian or whether you are a Christian, please let those things be made known. We will be more than happy to talk to you, more than happy and willing to help you in whatever case it is that you have in your life. If you have a need, won't you come? As together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262. Or you can visit our website at RoanokeChurchOfChrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.